Hello, everyone, and welcome to this crossover podcast, where we're merging the weekly watch and our Bondcast podcasts into one for just this week. So this week, I'm joined by Giles Gale, our head of European rate strategy, and Jan Navruzzi, our U.S. rate strategist. We're going to be focusing on rates markets. It's been quite a week as markets have shifted focus to some degree, though not completely, from concerns about inflation and central banks needing to tighten, in many cases aggressively so, to the other side of the stagflation coin and worrying about the growth impact of both the cost shock on consumers and the growth implications of tighter policy, often reflected through weaker risk assets. Listeners know this is a theme we've been expecting to emerge for several weeks now. And while at this point we still shouldn't be surprised by the, the speed and veracity markets adjust to things, but it has recent moves still have been pretty much astonishing, especially again, as I mentioned, risk assets. But even so, by many measures, valuations in stocks and other assets are objectively only back to fair and not yet cheap. So our expectations are for more volatility to risk to continue as we go through this process and these moves are potentially not over. So cautions warranted. But as this is not just a weekly watch, but a bond cast, I'm gonna quickly turn to our guests, talk about how this volatility all fits into our fixed income outlook. Obviously a key component, not just for rates themselves, but also performance in credit markets and rising yields is or has been one of the contributors to equity volatility in addition to FX volatility. So let's start with Jan in the U.S. John, have rates peaked? Why have treasury yields fallen lately? I think it goes really back to what you talked about, uh, risk assets taking the hit. And this last leg feels like it was driven a lot by uh, weak earnings. And the details in those earnings uh, pretty much talked about things like inability of retailers to pass on costs, or not, maybe not inability, maybe lack of desire, but just uh, you know, inflation eating into profits as opposed to actually increasing them in nominal values or uh, buildup of inventories that they still haven't been able to get rid of. Still a lot of chaos going with their supply chains. And you would think industries like that would be well positioned to weather the storm. And if they're not, then the question uh, comes to mind, who is? Which drove, you know, yesterday's 5% uh, uh, sell-off in NASDAQ and we kind of continue seeing weakness in equities but then alongside with that as uh, as you would expect uh, bonds are also outperforming and 10-year yields have now fallen well below their uh, local peak at 3.2 percent now hovering around 2.8 so i think uh, it is probably too early to say uh, for the longer term if <laughs> if yields have peaked but for now we still maintain this view that peak hawkishness has indeed been reached and as people start worrying about the the growth impacts of the both inflation and the Federal Reserve's actions, uh, we kind of see curve flattening, uh, the curve flattening and kind of longer part of the uh, of the yield curve outperforming. So speaking of the Fed, have we learned anything from Powell or the Fed lately? They continue to be quite frequent speakers on the airways. Yeah, I think the, the message is clear that over the next two meetings, we continue getting uh, 50 basis points at each meeting. So the June one, July one. Um, I think going into that, the June meeting, it will be interesting to see how the next inflation report plays out as it comes during a blackout period when there's not going to be any, uh, you know, uh, kind of like cushioning to be made by the local presidents or kind of prep uh, preparation in advance of the meeting. So uh, what we learned was we are getting 50 basis points next two meetings unless something drastically tips over or inflation drastically accelerates. That is in line with our view, uh, and we expect the return to call it normalcy after that, back to 25. Uh, and we, in our view, the Fed is more likely to go back to 25 than push it up 75, given the 
kind of like the sell-off and risk assets and how financial conditions generally have tightened. They don't really want to overdo it in a sense that it becomes counterproductive. So the message was uh, the plan is 50-50. The plan uh, we're going to do whatever it takes. We might go above neutral. But for now, uh, we're sticking to our plan and don't try to kind of overinterpolate. Okay. All right. Switching to um, Europe and the UK, Giles, you get to double dip this week with Imogen not able to join us. So let's start with the UK. Um, Bank of England has been quite pessimistic about the economic outlook, but you know you have had some pretty strong labor market data this week, uh, including on the earnings side. So markets seem to be saying that you know they're still going to take a bit more of an effort at least than perhaps the Bank of England's even signaling at the moment in order to get inflation in check. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, first of all, I know it's a big disappointment for regular listeners not to have Imogen on uh, for this week, uh, but she'll be back, don't worry. So yeah, we did have very strong labor market data this week. And um, I mean, it certainly was a lot stronger than we uh, had in mind. I mean, the the details were you know, unemployment were down, unemployment was up very, very strongly. Uh, there was inevitably, I suppose, a focus on real wages having taken a hit. Uh, that was, I think, given how high inflation is, really nailed on. No, no real surprise. The, the surprise of anything actually was that it wasn't greater because nominal pay grew really quite strongly. Um, now, which does, I think, suggest that there are further signs of inflation just becoming more embedded in the UK. Um, I, know, I, think, I think that the bottom line from that is that you know, the Bank of England will take away from that a somewhat slower sort of path back towards target um, on, on inflation unless they, and, unless they continue to act. So... No, I think I think you know there, there's more there's more data in, in the UK tomorrow on the on the household side about necessarily retail sales and and so on. But really, the theme, not just in the UK but actually more broadly this week, has been of hard sort of household data not turning over as quickly perhaps as some might have expected, given the extreme weakness in some consumer surveys. So I think that this is something that we're going to have to continue to, to monitor closely. Um, we're not going to resolve this whole question in, in the short term. Um, I'll just say, you know, the, uh, you know I, I think the UK view is still sort of, you know, I mean, we, we are still on the pessimistic side because we do think that it's important to um, look through these high level data and remember that there is a distributional impact here which is uh, as uh, it was well understood inflation does hit hardest for those at the bottom of the, uh, the income scale and they will be more constrained and that is likely to eventually have a, a macroeconomic impact as, um, as well, which will be seen at a higher level. But for the, um, for, for, for the Bank of England, I mean, at this point, you know, there is a great, a big divergence between what the uh, market is pricing in, which is you know, a lot of further action, you know, high probability of 50 basis point moves and, and, and so on in the, next, in the next couple of meetings, 
well over 100 basis points in uh, over the rest of the rest of this year and the bank of england's own rhetoric which is very much um, now, if you just take it at face value, they don't seem to be expecting to have to raise rates by more than another one, one or two 25 basis point moves. So you know, markets are questioning the Bank of England's credibility at this point. Yeah, not for the first time, I guess. Um, it's, yeah, you make an interesting comment about the retail sales data, because even in the U.S., we had strong retail sales data. But then, as as John mentioned, you know, we have weak retail earnings and, so, you know, weak confidence and stuff. So I think the jury's kind of out there, too. Um, maybe it's delayed effect, but we'll see. So, But, you know, you did touch on one other thing, which is the inflation side there. I mean, we also got UK CPI this week. Was that 9%? I mean... How did markets, I mean, what are your thoughts there? How did markets take it? Or, or you know, is that just basically the reason why we have such divergence in, in the Bank of England? Well, exactly. I mean, to be honest with you, at this stage, the markets had already adjusted to expect the worst, really. Um, so, yeah, 9% is a very, very high number. And in fact, the number that was in all the papers over here was the RPI. Um, figure, which were uh, just over 11%, was the highest in 40 years. So you have to go back to in 1982 and uh, the, the, the oil shocks back then um, to, to, to have seen higher inflation. Um, you know, the, in, in actual fact, the, you know, although that was a little bit higher than the economists for sort of consensus, uh, which is often tracked, it was a little bit lower than the levels that were actually trading in the inflation market just beforehand. And so actually markets took it with a little bit of relief, believe it or not. And in fact, break even uh, inflation fell across the board, actually pretty sharply. So, you know, despite these questions about Bank of England's credibility, you know, indicators such as the five-year, five-year break-even um, in the UK, uh, at, no, it's, it's actually at the low end of, the, of, of its range, back below four <laughs> percent. So, um, so yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of things still in the mix, but uh, no, I, I would say a lot of uncertainty to come still on inflation. Um, all right, so let's switch to Europe, you know, not immune to inflation on themselves, which has seen some pretty high numbers. But, you know, we have an ECB under Lagarde and oftentimes with Lane that seems to have been reticent to, to move towards rate hikes, but there's been a shift there. They certainly seem to be steering us towards a, a, a July rate hike. Um, is, that, is that just a done deal in, in your view? I think I think it's pretty much done now. You know, we had this period where the the doves weren't really t weren't really saying saying all that much, and you know, they have been one by one coming out and you know, agreeing. Yeah, you know, we really need to start getting moving. And I think that there's <clears throat> overall uh, you know, a, a little bit of a feeling at central banks, around, you know, not just. You know, I mean, you know, beyond the the ECB, in fact that um, you know, if we if they had known six months ago or nine months ago what they now know they probably would have got a move on you know, a long time ago um, you know, so the ECB yeah you know, I think it's regretting that it's got a little bit behind the curve I think it has um, it has to start moving J July is when everyone seems to be telling us now that bar a 
real upset in in the data and you know, some significant new information that would allow us to be significantly more economy negative we will get a rate hike in in july the the markets have pretty much you know, i mean they're, they're already there and in fact they're they're starting to entertain the possibility of uh, a 50 basis point move and in fact the last i looked at my spreadsheet we had about 34, 35 basis points in for that July meeting, which I still think is you know, very, very aggressive. And I, 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 in fact, think that it's a problem. It's about as likely that we get zero as we get 50, um, just because you know, a lot can happen in the in, in the next um, you know, sort of 10 weeks or whatever it is before we have that uh, that meeting. So. So yeah, I think that the front ends are still too uh, are still too aggressive. No, no change there. Uh, markets, you know, now, I mean, we 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 now have this very front loaded path for the bank for, for the ECB, um, and then you know, sort of rates plateauing at around one point four percent, which I suppose is around the low end, maybe even the middle of the the range that most people have in mind for for neutral, but not yet rates going into sort of restricted territory uh, at the end of next year or 2024, which does contrast a little bit with what we see in the US and the UK, where you have um, a very aggressive path for rate hikes and then um, you know, an expectation that then tips up, or at least that there's an elevated risk that, that tips us into recession. And then um, you have rates moderating thereafter. We don't see that in, in Europe. And so you know, I think there is a little bit of a temptation to, to wonder whether we should. Um, I would say that because uh, there's this sort of, you know, b b well, precisely because the ECB is kind of behind the curve, um, there's a lot of time for the risks that people have in mind to actually emerge and then rate hikes into restrictive territory in, in Europe not actually to materialize. So I would actually say that this sort of you know, midpoint of you know, <laughs> expectations where you have uh, rates rise to a certain level and then just stay there actually makes a certain amount of sense at the moment. Okay. Yeah, and 10 weeks is an eternity in this market. I mean, in the in the 10 minutes we've been speaking, equity futures have lost a percent. So, you know, who knows what happens 10 weeks from now. But on the other side of the policy coin for Europe, you know, we've got QE going and it's still got six weeks to run. I mean, you've made the comment that um, tapering hasn't been fully felt yet. Can you walk through what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean it's a very it's it's really very simple. Um, in the short term, what really matters when it comes to QE um, is the gross purchases. It's not the the net purchases. Um, and gross purchases by uh, the the ECB haven't really fallen by all that much. In fact, um, they haven't really fallen at all. And at the same time, on the supply side, things have been actually a little bit quiet or at least quieter than you would have expected because obviously the market volatility has been making things difficult for issuers and you know, I think that there will be payback. Uh, you know, there is still funding that's going to have to take place over the remainder of the year and you know, so I think 
it's really going to be over the next sort of six weeks or so that uh, we really are exposed fully to that. And you know, this isn't a new comment uh, for me, but I, you know, I, I, I think that this will have a, a real, a real impact. You know, I'm, you know, just to give an, an idea, um, our model estimate for the impact of high quality supply. Okay, so high quality uh, bond supply that is double A and uh, and above, you know, suggests that you know, maybe a hundred billion extra in the short term means a shift up in, in rates of about twenty five basis points. Well, over the next sort of six seven months, we'll get two hundred plus. Um, you know, so that is going to be a pretty significant um, significant shift, and it's one of the key reasons why we have not been turning our rates view in Europe around um, to, to, to be bullish in the face of these sort of, you know, the, this difficulty that, or, you know, this difficult market, which we're seeing for, for risk assets, um, as you have done in the, in the US. So you know, that, um, that's still our bias. You know, I think the front end you know, expectations are still pretty aggressive. Uh, for rate hikes, whereas in the long end, you know, I think that you can still be uh, pretty confident that uh, the rates will struggle to fall, at the very least. All right, great. All right, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening. <laughs>